Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope that your week went smoothly. Hope that you're doing good today. Uh, also hope that you've had some time over the last couple weeks to wrestle through some of the things that we've been talking about more in the practical arena of Paul's teachings to the, the Colossians. You know, we talked about the position that we have in Christ uh, the first week, and then last week we talked about more of the old self and what we're to put off. And today we're going to speak about what we are to put on a bit. But briefly before we begin that, um, I wanted to kind of give some direction and some comment on where we currently are in the process with the district and what our steps forward kind of look like at this point. Um, Friday I sent out an email to many of you. Uh, if you did not get an email want to get on the list, let me know. Um, something happened with my contacts and I lost a lot of things, so I've just kind of updated my records in that way. Um, but within there, there was some, it was, um, some questions, some instructions of what we're going to be doing, and then an uh, online version or downloadable version of a packet that was given by the district to work through some of the scriptures and some questions. I do have some hard copies back on the table. Um, I know many of you had picked that up off the table last month when it was out there and perhaps have started to work through that. That's great. Um, you don't need a, another one. It's the same thing. But as a leadership team, we've prayed about how to go through this process in a healthy way. Um, and we want to give people the opportunity to understand the division that comes with this topic about ordaining women and titling women as pastors. Uh, we know that not everyone has the same level of understanding or has done the in-depth studies. So we're asking at this time that the body at least use that packet as a guide and study through some of those scripture passages. Um, and then my heart behind this is so that as a group we can shepherd this body well to understand uh, this topic and to be comfortable enough to have conversations with each other. You know, at this point, I'm not as concerned about the future conversations with the district. My goal is the body and shepherding us well through this. Um, I mean, there's lots of other resources that you can go through. There's different things in the back of the packet that you can go through. Do so at your own discretion. You know, don't go over the edge with all of it, um, but primarily study those different scriptures. We are then planning to have a meeting here uh, November 10th in the evening at 6 o'clock here at the church for some designated teaching time on some of those passages, give opportunities to ask questions, to break up into smaller groups to study this subject. I know that Elias' benefit is going to be the next morning and that might pull some of us away depending on preparation and preparing for that event as well. But it's not a mandatory meeting. We're just trying to give an opportunity for the body to come together to discuss some of these things. Um, we're going to see if some teens can help watch some of the kids, do some crafts, order pizzas for that night. That way you don't have to worry about food. Um, and we'll probably get a rough head count in no early November just so we can have enough pizza for that. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, we want to encourage all of you to be able to biblically understand and defend your positions on this subject, any subject for that matter, to understand what the Bible says, to make sure that we um, understand a clear teaching 
of the word. Understanding also that this is a very heated conversation or topic that can divide easily. So we're trying to navigate this in the best way that we can. Also understanding maybe not everybody has taken the time again to study um, this subject or think that it's a big deal. So during that meeting, we will also try to express some of the next steps as we understand them that we're looking forward to as a church. Um, understand also that there will probably be some form of a lawsuit that happens. So we're again trying to prepare for that as well. Now within this whole discussion, um, there are a lot of moving pieces, things that can be complicated. And it's been asked where I stand on this issue. Uh, for me personally, it has been a difficult road to walk through. I've been fortunate enough not to experience this in my own life, but as I've been praying about, the Lord has kind of showed me that I liken my feelings a lot to that of a child in the middle of a messy divorce. Uh, I have not liked the direction that the CMA has gone down, and I have not liked some of the comments that I've heard in terms of ready to leave right now unless we vote. As a man, as a pastor, I desire to serve Jesus first. I also serve under a denomination, and I serve this body, all three groups whom I love deeply. As I've walked down this road, I've listened a bunch. I've heard things, some third hand. I know it's hard to then know names or issues that people do have when you hear it third hand, but being up front, I just want to acknowledge that, yeah, I've definitely made different mistakes through this period of time. Primarily in communication, we're having different assumptions that perhaps the convictions that we, everyone have, are from a deeper biblical study. I know that some have done that deeper biblical study, but not all. I know some are relying more on tradition, peer pressure, or mob mentalities. So there could have been better leadership on my part through this, and I do apologize. I want us to be able to make a decision from a place of, not from a place of, well, this just isn't what we want, but rather from a deep conviction and a clear teaching in scripture. And I want us to be on the same page for that. You know, I think that the national conversation was very in, entrenched with people lobbing talking points in their scriptures like grenades. I don't think that the conversation at council was done in a healthy way, nor did I think that what was presented was going to change anyone's minds or bring unity. People are very staunchly on one side or the other. And if there is disagreement, if there is a non-affirmation, it seems like there's bound to be some sort of separation. And this has hurt my heart in a lot of ways. Because when I take what's going on at a national level and I bring it to our level, what happens when there are disagreements? Can we still be united? You know, this is where I take the issue to as a pastor of a local church. I think in some areas that is yet to be seen. And it isn't just this topic either. There's multiple topics that people can divide over. There are many things that we can disagree over. So what is it that causes us to break fellowship with one another? Again, us, not the CMA. You know, the, the example that I have that we went through was when we went through the spiritual gifts. 
You know, when we went through that message series, I know in this body that there are some that believe that the gifts have ceased. I know that there are some that believe that they are still alive and well for today. I think that the conversations and the messages went well, at least what was expressed to me. If people are holding on to bitterness, they haven't shared that. So I pray that the conversations and the direction that we go can also be just as well. For me personally, I believe that men should be pastors. I've never agreed with the fact that women went through the exact same process for consecration, nor do I think that they should be striving for that title. When pastor is used, many times we think of the leader of a church, especially in our context where it's more rule in the setting. I understand um, in a larger church setting where that title can be used uh, for women or in different ways. In a lot of ways, women do pastoral things. But when it comes to authority and responsibility, the title carries a lot of weight. And I believe that men are called to be in that role to be the leaders of the church just as they are called to be leaders in their home. There's a mutual submission that happens under Christ. He is our example in everything as he submitted to the will of the Father to go to the cross on our behalf. So I use that as my guide in understanding. I've had a lot of apprehension throughout the entire conversation over the last few years because of how divisive it is. I have bonds and deep friendships with many in the CMA. I have a church body here that has walked through the hardest part of my life with me. So it's not been easy to go down this road. Again, in many ways, I feel like I'm in the middle. And the enemy has attacked my heart and my mind throughout the time. So a prayer point for you all to pray for your pastor. But the way that he has attacked has been vicious because he has brought questions to my mind, whether it is questioning the leadership and the motives in the national office, or when I hear things like, we're just going to leave if we don't vote now to leave the denomination. The enemy has whispered in my heart and my ears to have no confidence in our leadership. He has whispered, if they can leave, so can you. Just stop being a pastor. That takes away all of this issue and you don't have to walk down that road anymore. You know, the enemy is vicious. He's methodical in how he attacks. So over the last two years, I've had to pray about the direction that the Lord would have me go to make a biblical decision. You know, in my heart, as we walk down this road, it is to serve the Lord. It is to honor his word. It is to do what he calls us to do to the best of our abilities. To where we are making decisions on biblical truths and not bitterness or tradition or trying to stay faithful to the word of God as best we can. I try to do this because I know that as a pastor I will stand before him and have to give account of how I led his flock. So over the next few weeks as you go through some of these scriptures if you have questions write them down. Again we invite you to come out to the 10th to have some of these discussions. And again, from that, after we have that meeting, we will probably communicate with the district and then schedule a vote to disassociate from the alliance. That's kind of the plan that we have set in place for right now. Um, but again, we're hoping for a good turnout on the 10th to see where the conversation leads us. 
Um, and again, as you have questions, feel free to ask and write those down. So that's just a little update for us and what the leadership has kind of come up with and the direction that we're going to be going down. So as we switch gears to our passage, let's stand up and stretch a little bit. Uh, open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And we will be reading verses 12 through 17 today. Trying to get better at allowing people to get there and not just start reading. All right, um, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, as we continue in this chapter of Colossians and we get to focus on what we get to put on as believers, Father, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your renewing work of the Spirit, and that you would allow us to see the joy that you have in store for us through your salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You be seated. All right. So it's a fun portion of scripture here in terms of what we get to put on. Normally when we go through uh, chapter three, we generally will take the first 17 verses together because it's kind of cool to see how Paul builds from one thing to the next. As he talks about the identity piece in the first couple of verses, then he goes to what you're gonna supposed to put off and now what you are to put on. Everything builds tremendously within this chapter. And in today's portion, he's telling them what they must clothe themselves with, what they are to put on. So we see some of these attitudes, some of these actions, some of these qualities that are appropriate for um, the walk that they have that is worthy for the grace that they've received. You know, back up into to chapter one and verse 10. The things that they are to walk in as the responsibility of Christians. Again, he's putting words to what they've already done. You know, if you look just up a little bit in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3, he says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So again, they have already put on this regenerative nature of the spirit as new believers. Now they need to clothe themselves. They need to put on the things that are a reflection of Christ, these qualities that are markers of Christianity, these characteristics. You know, these things deal with interpersonal relationships, and that should be their focus. 
not on all of these other things that the false teachers would be expounding upon, what they're telling them that they need to do. He is, again, comparing the lies with the truth, the false teachers with the Christian way. And he is making this command of them to put on these things for three reasons. And it's based off of three things. Right there in verse 12, they are chosen by God. They are set apart by and for God. That's kind of drawing out that meaning of holy. And they are loved by God. It is for those three reasons that they are to clothe themselves with this list of qualities. And we look at this list, and it's similar to last week. We can, we can look at this list, and we can maybe pick out some of those things that we thrive in, right? Being more of a perfectionist in nature, I tend to look at the list and think, okay, what do I need to improve in? Where am I falling behind in? Am I not very kind today? Am I not very graceful in my words? You know, so with encouragement in our minds, we have to step back and see how the Spirit, again, has matured us through the years, you know, what you were before to what you are now. And you, you relish in those victories a little bit. And you see the, the distance that you have climbed as you are following the Lord, as you are being obedient, as he has been renewing your hearts and minds. And you can see that growth. You can see those areas. You know, because the enemy is going to try to say that there is no growth. The enemy is going to try to say that there is no new self, that you're horrible, that you're not saved, that you actually identify in the previous lists. So we, what we want to take away from these, this first verse for us today in verse 12 is this identity piece that we can hold on to of what God calls us, chosen ones, holy, and beloved. Now again, very briefly, going through this, these qualities here, just kind of giving a little bit of expanded definition when we look at things like compassion. Compassion is a tenderness towards suffering towards a miserable state. It's sympathy towards others. Kindness has its root in the same term as grace in the Greek, and it talks about having a sweet disposition. It combines gentleness and graciousness, kindliness in your, in your temperament, in your attitude. Humility would be thinking less of yourself. You have more of a servant's heart or a servant's mindset. Um, it means lowly, and in lists like this, it's usually compared or paired with meekness, which is our next term. Meekness is a gentleness. It's a gentleness of attitude and behavior to contrast against harshness. A lot of times, meekness is used as a negation to harshness. Um, so it, there's this mildness and this patience that are tied in with this word as well. And of course, that leads us into the next one of patience. Patience can be viewed as a state of calm in the face of trials, misfortunes, provocations, things like that. It is not showing or expressing irritation. And this can also lead us to bearing with one another. When you bear with one another, there is a sense of patient enduring through the difficulties, through the conflicts. You can also add in a sense of long-suffering with this term. So in just this part of the qualities so far, can you begin to see how they build into one another? How one thing kind of goes into the next? You know, I kind of liken this list to what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verses five and eight. 
And he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, again, each of these qualities so far seem to, to meld into the, to the next one. As they are patient, they would have this willingness to bear with one another, whether that's through their complaints, whether that's through their faults, whether it's through things that just might irritate you. Um, you know, when, when we put up with those things that we might dislike in others, that then melds into forgiveness. Not saying that that's always the road that what they're doing might be sinful because it could be your own pride that needs forgiveness as well. But again, Christ is our example in all things, and whereas Christ forgave us, we are to forgive others. Now you look up in chapter 2, verse 13. Um, and it says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with you, having forgiven, having forgiven all of your trespasses. So again, this is a principle that is taught throughout Scripture, we use the context within the book of Colossians to show that we are forgiven, that Christ is the one who forgave us. But you see the same principle of you forgive because Christ has forgiven you throughout. Most pointedly, probably th from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, you know, that right after the Lord's Prayer, that calling to forgive. So forgiveness is a mark of Christianity. And then finally, above all of these things, love. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, not to allow English to be confusing because it's the most understood language, but when you read this in this passage, love here is a noun. It is not a verb. In all of these sections, these qualities are nouns. The verbs, the imperatives, are the put off and the put on. So these qualities more so represent an identity of these people rather than in the action. And for the new self, we clothe ourselves in love. What we do flows out of who we are as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You know, being and doing cannot be separated. We also want to notice how, just like lying was kind of singled out with that imperative, love seems to be singled out here in our passage as well as being above and beyond all of the other qualities. You know, we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, when we look at this list of what the believer is to put on, what that means is, is what they are to practice, what they are to walk in through the Spirit. And hopefully when we look at lists like this, we can resonate to other lists in the Bible as well, just like the one in Second Peter, but I'm also thinking of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, you've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we see a lot of similarities and consistency with how Paul is instructing the early church about the new self about what they are to put on, what they are to clothe themselves with, what the new nature of Christ means, that these qualities, that these fruits are markers of maturity within the Christian's lives. 
And we want to take note of those things. Again, we want to examine ourselves with these qualities. Then Paul gives four imperatives in the next few verses. He says, let rule, I'm kind of putting the words or the verbs together, but he says, let rule the peace of Christ in your hearts, be thankful, let dwell the word of Christ, and do, in verse 17. These four imperatives are kind of separate from the lists above, but it's still important for us to understand what they mean. So let's dive into these a little bit. Now the peace of Christ, this kind of refers to more peace in general, understanding what Christ has done for us in terms of made peace with us and God. And it is the peace of Christ. So how do we define and understand what the peace of Christ is? Um, Well, you use scripture to help you define that. You know, and John 14, 27 is a good reference to where Jesus says, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So when we look at that verse and we try to break that down to understand peace, I think that we can see that it is the opposite of a troubled heart. It is the opposite of a fearful heart, where instead gentleness, calmness, solid assurance would be guiding the believer instead. And this term about letting them rule, or let, letting rule, is more like an umpire in your heart, um, where there's this interesting portrait with how we understand this word, because our hearts tend to be an arena of conflict, of competition, of the old self and the new self, where all sorts of feelings kind of clash within it, right? And you have many points where you can have anxiety, you can have stress that are impacting your lives each day. Even though peace is supposed to be what's ruling your hearts, we have to let it rule our hearts. Because many times we get in the way and we try to take over again. There's this competition, there's this war that's being waged for your soul and your mind. There's temptations that come in and we need the armor of God to strengthen us daily, to protect our hearts and minds. I read an interesting comparison this week talking about the peace of Christ. You think about how Jesus met the demoniac, the one that was chained up in the tomb area and he had called himself Legion for I am many. How do you think his heart was? Was it ruled by the peace of Christ? Or was he being tormented? Did he have fear? Did he have chaos in his life? You know, he had a lack of peace. But then comes Jesus into his life. And once he is healed by Jesus, peace now rules in that man's heart and it is, you can see him as being clothed in the right mind. Through one encounter with Jesus, he experiences that peace. The same for us as believers. As we have encountered Christ, peace should be ruling in our hearts, not the chaos of this world. Again, we bring in our understanding of Romans 12, 1 and 2, as the Spirit is renewing our minds. The peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts. Not anxiousness, not fear, but rather a steadiness, a calmness, a faithfulness, because we know whose we are, because we have encountered Christ. 
You know, when we examine our hearts and minds, when we address and think about what's actually lived out in the day-to-day, because, you know, we can come up here and we can talk about this and this is the way it's supposed to be, but when it's in the, in the trenches, when you're in those moments of stress, of anxiety, how we respond differs from day-to-day. How we respond differs from moment-to-moment. When we face those temptations, we can easily follow the Lord or not. You know, in the day-to-day, our hearts are bombarded with passion, with love, with fear, with hope, with jealousy, with trust, with cynicism, with goodwill, with indifference and concern, with distrust, with awareness, and so many other things. What are the feelings or the qualities that you give rule in your lives? Do they resemble more of the old self or the new self? Who or what is the umpire in your heart? Is it the spirit leading or is it you? You see, when feelings and emotions guide us and lead us, we stray very quickly. But when it's the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts, everything is harmonized in love. And it's dealt with in godly ways. Not fearful ways, not in the old self. In all of our conflicts, it is the rule of peace that settles those things. So we have to be careful not to do things that would violate that peace, destroy that peace. We have to walk worthily as Paul is commanding for this people group, for the Colossians, for us today. The second imperative that he gives is to be thankful. Gratitude is intimately connected with peace. And, it, and you'll see how gratitude and thankfulness is seen throughout the next couple of verses. It's tied to the other imperatives as well. Because we have peace with God and his peace rules in, his heart, in our hearts, thankfulness impacts our relationships and the outlook on life. And the verse simply says, be thankful. It's a general attitude in life. So, how's your thankfulness? Seems like a pretty simple question. You know, when we compare these different lists, whether it's about anger and wrath and complaining, to things like thankfulness, we see that it describes our temperaments, our disposition. So is our disposition one that is thankful? Oftentimes I connect this to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So as believers, we are to be thankful. We are to understand the salvation in our lives, coming to grips with our lostness, our sin, and then experiencing the truth of Jesus' salvation as he died on the cross and rose from the dead. When we realize the peace that we have because of Christ, our hearts melt into thankfulness and gratitude because we understand that we cannot do it in our own power. We cannot save ourselves. Building off of being thankful is this next imperative, to let dwell richly the word of Christ in you. Now when you look at verse 16 as a whole, there are a lot of verbs. But the other verbs describe what it looks like to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. 
the other verbs are present active participles, so they're describing this continuous action on our parts to satisfy this command to let the word of God dwell in you richly. To where we are to submit so deeply to the Christian message, to allow it to control our thinking. Now, the word of Christ here could be taken as the gospel message, but I think that it refers to all of Jesus' teachings. I think it refers to all of Scripture. You know, Jesus says in the Great Commission to his disciples that they are to go and they are to teach the people, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, so as they are going, it is all of the word of Christ that they are to be taking in, to allow to dwell within them richly. Now, to dwell means to make room for, to abide, to remain, would be some good synonyms. And part of the word of Christ are these terms about songs as well. Now, I don't think that we need to rigidly divide what psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are. I think it's just more of an emphasis using these three terms to, de- to declare that there is song and singing and praise in our hearts. You know, Psalm 40, God says, I'm going to put a new song in your mouth. To where as Christians, the joy that is within us is so vibrant that it causes us to sing. And and you think about the praiseworthiness of God. Because he is worthy, as Revelation tells us. You know, with with this rejoicing, with this praising, we see it's also still connected to thankfulness at the end of the verse. Again, we are, we're thankful for what God has done and that causes us to praise. Um, the parallel passage for this section in Ephesians is in Ephesians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything God the Father and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, when Christ dwells in us richly, um, because of the thankfulness of the peace of Christ, it then impacts what we do. And this goes into the last imperative. Again, I cannot stress enough how tied together all of these things are. We need to be able to see that. Um, The natural flow of the grace of God who calls us his chosen ones holy and beloved moves us to action and this last verse of chapter in verse 17 uh, the imperative is in the form of do whatever you do do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and again giving thanks so I mean thankfulness is a kind of a big deal as you can see with as it's tied together But this verse covers all of our thoughts, all of our deeds, all of our actions, all of our words. Paul is teaching in a lot of ways, uh, provides a basic understanding of the Christian life, the different principles that need to be lived out for the new churches and how they are applied in different life situations to where all of our actions and all of our words were doing things for the name of Jesus as his ambassadors because we are his, because we are in him. And you know, we have, we've talked a, a lot before about asking the question of why we do the things that we do, why we say the things that we say from time to time. 
Why is it that we behave in certain ways? You know, we, we talked about the struggles with the old self, with sin, with temptation, uh, and then it, it comes into our life now and, and we falter at times, we fail because we choose those de- temptations, those desires. But as Paul says to do everything in the name of Jesus, how does that impact your walk? How does that change how you're going to apply this teaching in your life? I mean, in my life, there's definitely been periods, seasons, where I'm weighing what I'm saying or doing based off of this statement to this level. Like, okay, how is what I'm going to say now going to honor the name of Jesus? How is what I'm gonna do gonna bring him glory or advance his kingdom forward? Is it? You know, is me playing a video game gonna honor the name of Jesus? Is me taking a nap gonna honor the name of Jesus? Maybe, if I'm grumpy. But you know, you think about what you're doing and you're a little bit more cognizant of it, you're a little bit more intentional about what you're doing and what you're saying and you think twice before you speak. You know, how is what I'm going to say gonna honor? How is what I'm gonna say going to admonish, challenge? How is it going to be received? Is this what the Lord wants me to do? And again, there's seasons where I'm really strong in that and then there's seasons where I'm just on auto mode and I'm just cruising through life. You know, sometimes just that thought alone is what I'm about to do gonna honor the name of Jesus, can fight against temptations, can fight against the desires of the old flesh. Sometimes we still stumble and then we feel that guilt a little bit more because we wrestled through and we were presented with the idol, the fact that it's an idol that we're gonna be choosing against God. But really what needs to happen with that guilt is it needs to be turned into a conviction to repent and seek forgiveness. Because it's through the sanctification process that through that renewing of our minds that we're maturing into Christ. And again, this is a portrait of what the new self looks like. To where everything that we say, everything that we do can honor the name of the Lord. Where does that rank in terms of goals in our life? How are we doing in that process? You know, I'm hoping that today you can begin to see the beauty of the new self and how it is a gift from God. How is it a change in our identity from that old self to the new self, from the lost to the found, from being enemies to be called being chosen, holy, and beloved. You know, we look at these lists of qualities and we can see the marks of Christ. There are things that we are to be growing in. You know, because we are not yet glorified, we are not perfect in these things. We understand that. We don't use that as an excuse to go be a jerk, but we use that as an understanding that Christ is not done with us, that he is still, he is faithful to complete the good work that he began in us, as Philippians teaches us, so that we can walk worthy in his righteousness because that's what we've put on not our own self-righteousness, not our own forms of what we think is best, not our own feelings or emotions, but rather we are clothed in his his robe of righteousness. And we can use this list as a measuring stick. But again, as I said last week, be careful not to tie our obedience to our salvation. You know, the gospel message requires faith and repentance. 
it produces obedience. Christ in us, through the Spirit, transforms us into his image. And that's a process. And it's a joy to be a part of that process. It's a joy to be a part of that process with all of you as we get to encourage and build each other up in the faith so that each day we have an opportunity to praise him in thanksgiving for what he has done for us through his son Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to dive into some of these topics, I just pray that you would allow your spirit to move mightily in our lives. Lord, that you would just show us those areas through conviction that we need to clean up, that we still need help to to put off, and Lord, that you would allow us to uh, be mindful of the obedience that we do have so that we can reflect more of you, so that in everything that we say and do, Lord, you are magnified, you are glorified, you are proclaimed. Father, I thank you for the salvation that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the opportunities to share that gospel message with others this week. Lord, that we would be so attuned to your spirit that we couldn't help but share your, your wonders, your awesomeness of who you are as mighty God. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have comfort today that you would allow us to have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts and not the fears or anxieties that are, that are going around us, whether that's church things, whether that's job things, whether that's family things. But Lord, that your peace would rule in our hearts and that we would weigh everything according to that. Lord, help us in our times of weakness. Help us to encourage one another to hold each other accountable because we have seen and tasted your goodness and nothing else compares. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.